You like Fireboy? I do. You're listening to Your Tables on Fire. A weekly conversation with the hottest game designers on Kickstarter. Here comes your host, Jeff Beck. Thanks for tuning in to Your Tables on Fire. This is episode number 46. Okay, with me today we have a special guest. This is Travis Hancock, the founder of Facade Games and the designer of Tortuga 1667. Travis, welcome to Your Tables on Fire. Thank you. Good to be here. All right, we're glad you're here. So why don't you uh, kick things off and give us a little bit of an introduction. So like you said, my name's Travis, um, founder of Facade Games. Uh, my wife and I run it together from, from home. Just kind of on the, it's been on the side, but we're, we're building it more to be a full-time thing. Yeah, I'm living near Provo, Utah right now, and uh, yeah, that's okay. kind of about me, I guess. That's pretty cool. So yeah, so I, I saw that you said that you were you and your wife are a, a kind of a team. That's pretty awesome. So how does that play out? Like, what are the what are the roles that you tackle? What does she tackle? Yeah, how does that work? Yeah, so I I do most of the the business side of it, and then I I spear the the actual like the rules development and the play testing, and then she's more over the design. She's a graphic designer. Well, she's a fourth grade teacher full time, uh, but she's also a great graphic designer. So she. Make sure it looks good, and then she also helps a lot with the, the play testing and just the chief advisor role, I guess, on on everything for it. Right. Yeah. Pretty cool. Now, did she do the uh, illustrations for Tortuga? She did not. So we we also have an illustrator named Sarah Keel. She she also lives nearby. Uh, she does the illustrations, and then she gets that to my wife, and then my wife puts everything together with the fonts and making it the layout on the cards and and the book design right. and all that. So. Right. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, because uh, you know we'll, we'll talk about Tortuga in a minute, but it, it looks pretty amazing. The graphics on it are fantastic. Thanks. Well, but before we get to that, let's talk a little bit more about you, and let's actually take a trip down memory lane and see if you can drudge up. What was the very first game you ever remember playing? Oh man, um, <laughs> you have for... to go way back. <laughs> uh, my my family is just huge into games. We always have a, a board game out, so you know probably probably the classics. Life, Clue, Monopoly, um, but then also growing up, I played a lot of Mafia, just the classic party game Mafia. Um, I have about sixty cousins on one side, and whenever our families would get together, we'd all sneak down to the basement and and play Mafia. And I just remember loving that so much, just like the the narrative of of each game, like how people would would die and there'd be a story associated with their death and. Just like the whole lying aspect was really fun. I guess I've always liked to lie. I don't know. <laughs> you put uh, that on your resume? Yeah. <laughs> no, so, yeah, but yeah, from a very young age, I always loved loved games. Uh-huh. Yeah, very cool. And you still enjoy those type of social deduction games? Yeah, yeah, I'd say those are my, my favorite. And that's that's kind of where our first two games have stemmed from, that, that genre. And kind of my, my attempts to improve the structure behind that genre to kind of give those games more meat to them mm-hmm. but yeah yeah those those are my my favorites for sure mm-hmm. uh so so other than the, kind of the social deduction and the ability to lie to your friends what else in your opinion makes a really good game yeah i think you know i think a good game similar to a good song or a good movie or, or anything like that a good game takes you into a different world and really immerses you into that world i mean they 
by the design, by the mechanics, by the way you have to treat other players. I just I just love games that do that, that kind of block out the rest of the world for a while, and for that half hour or hour, you are in the world of that board game. Mm-hmm. Can you give us an example of one that does that particularly well? Uh, yeah, I guess one game I, I enjoy playing is Pandemic. Um, mm-hmm. I think they do, they do a great job with all their pieces and the rules to make you really uh, panic, I guess, that the <laughs> world really is about to go under. And just, yeah, like the mechanics of, of the, uh, the way they make things get worse and worse as the game progresses, it just really makes it feel like, like things are, are going bad. So right. I think they do a great job with that. Right. Yeah, that's good. Well, now, so we're here talking about games you've designed. So at what point in your life did you decide, hey, I want to design my own game? It was a long time ago, probably uh, maybe maybe five, maybe just five or six years ago, actually. Um, I was in Alaska for a summer, and my friends and I, we actually played a lot of Mafia. Um, and another friend of mine and I, we, we developed a Harry Potter Mafia game. <laughs> that was pretty fun, where you would, there were four houses, and you had to vote within your house. And Anyways, we, we had a lot of fun with that. So then from there, you know, I realized that making a Harry Potter Mafia would be a little copyright difficult yeah there's always that you know the lawyers yeah. they ruin everything yeah yeah so so then from there i just just for fun i i kind of turned that into a different game called city and then that eventually took on the theme of the salem witch trials and then it became salem so so that was a good three-year process making salem and it was just on the side it was just for fun and then eventually we uh, decided to launch it mm-hmm well, actually, take a minute and t- for those that aren't familiar with Salem, can you give us the quick rundown of that? Yeah, so Salem, um, it's it's similar to Mafia Werewolves in that you're trying to find, uh, in this case, the witches, but it gives a little more structure. There's there's cards that you use to accuse people, and then another fun thing that people like is that the the witch roll can basically spread around. So so by the end of the game, there will be more witches than there were than uh, when you started. So it's 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 trying to capture the uh, the uneasiness and the accusations and the kind of the scary atmosphere of the witch trials to bring that into a game form. Mm-hmm. And you launched Salem on Kickstarter. Was that 2015 or what? Yeah, long ago was that? yeah, it was March, April of 2015. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and when we launched it, we um, like I said, it was it was just for fun. Like we had a goal of I think six thousand dollars, and we were we were hoping we would just you know just get six thousand at least, so we could make you know make a few dozen copies for our family and friends and have some right. on our shelf. But but yeah, the the response to that was just blew us away and uh, kind of opened our eyes to the possibility of making it bigger than we thought and making more games. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, it did pretty fantastic. It is a pretty fantastic game but but still I, I have to ask what do you attribute the success of Salem to man that's the that's the million dollar question <laughs> I've been asked that question so many times like how do you think it was successful and you know I have a lot of theories I think um, I think people really like the the packaging it comes in the faux book mm-hmm. I think that drew a lot of people's eyes um, I, I think our illustrator we got lucky in in finding a great illustrator in Sarah to just really make the game look good. And then I think also there was a, there was kind of an opportunity there for a social deduction game with more structure to it. Because I think, I think a lot of people really like social deduction games, but 
they were they were kind of looking for something that could be a little more structured. Right. So so yeah, so I have I have lots of guesses. Um, I yeah, I'm, I'm still not really sure, but glad <laughs> people like it. <laughs> well, the day you figure that out, just you know, shoot me an email, let me know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So now you're back. You got the new game here, Tortuga 1667. Yes. So now why don't you give us the pitch on that game? Yeah, so in this game, it's four to nine players, um, and every player has a secret loyalty to either the British or the French. And it's so it's in the world of, of pirates and privateers. And basically there are there are two ships in the game, but you're not necessarily on the same ship as your teammates. But you'll have to work with the people on your ship to get treasure from the from the Spanish Armada or the Spanish Galleon. And then once you have that treasure, there's ways to kind of backstab the other players on your ship so that you can keep the treasure for yourself. So, for example, you, if you're the first mate, you can call for a mutiny against the captain. Or there's event cards that let you shoot other players. Or event cards that if you reveal, you're marooned yourself. Um, and then the idea is that um, your team, if your team has the most treasure by the end of the game, then you win. Mm-hmm. Um, so some people will will lie about their team the whole time and claim they're one team. Then at the very end, they'll move the treasure over to their team's treasure hold. Mm-hmm. Um, and then some some players who you know aren't great at lying or or don't want to play that game, they'll just be truthful about their team and use the the event cards there and the strategy of of being in the right place at the right time uh, mm-hmm. to get their team ahead. So, uh, so yeah, so it's a lot of shifting loyalties and politics that I really like. On each player's turn, they get they get one action, so it's it's pretty simple. And people don't have a hand of cards. There's just like a a row of community event cards. And as an action, people can either view those cards so they can have more knowledge about what they are, if they're good or bad where they can reveal the cards, or they can force other players to reveal the cards. So there's a lot of trickery going on when when you're forcing other people to pick certain cards. You can lie about what it, what it is, and then they might draw one that forces them to, to get marooned. Hmm. And then in the center, uh, in, uh, center of the board is the island of Tortuga itself. So if you get kicked off your ship, then you go there and... There's ways to get off the island, but you're at a disadvantage if you're on the island. It's kind of a way to keep everyone in the game, so it's not an elimination game. Right. Um, but still to to make you think twice about what you do so you don't get stuck there. Right. So still still some penalty involved. Right. Right. Now, a lot of social deduction games, uh, and, and I don't mean to necessarily paint a bad picture, but it seems like a lot of them devolve into just kind of a yelling match, or they can, depending on the group. Right. So when you're when you're designing a social deduction game, do you just embrace that? Do you is there certain tricks to help you design away from that? I guess how do, how do you handle that situation? Yeah, that's you know that was a big um, big thing we wanted to avoid with with developing Salem. So for example, you know in, in Mafia, it is it is just yelling because it's all on you know what people say and what you believe and stuff. But but with Salem, you have actual accusation cards. So if you don't want to say anything, that's fine. You can just quietly lay down five accusations in front of the person you believe is is against you. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of same with this one is, you know, you can, there, there's definitely heated discussions, but in the end, everyone still has a turn 
where they get to make their own choice of the kind of backup what they believe. So it, it kind of, like I said earlier, it, it gives structure to the madness. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. Right. Well, so a question with regards to the name. So you mentioned Tortuga is an island. What happened on that island in 1667? Yeah, so it was a uh, pirate haven. So there were basically British, French, and, and Dutch, and then a few other nationalities of, of pirates who kind of used it as a base. And they would often launch from there to attack Spanish treasure ships and uh, Spanish colonies for the, for the gold. And we, we just really liked the history of it. Um, they had actually formed a kind of a loose government called the Brethren of the Coast there. That was fun to learn about. Um, and, and we just felt like it was it fit really well because you know the pirates on Tortuga they were they were sort of united in a way but they were also still had their own sides their own nationalities. And then a lot of them were privateers, meaning their government basically sanctioned their pirate activities because their government didn't like the Spanish either. So they were basically turned a blind eye as they uh, wreaked havoc on the Spanish. So just a lot of fun stuff going on, and I, I love history, which is kind of why we uh you know used the Salem Witch Trials for our first game and then this this pirate Tortuga thing for our second. The Tortuga 1667 is actually going to be the first in a series we're making called the Dark Cities series. And basically each game in the series is going to focus on a certain city and year and then have a dark element to it. And each will be four to nine players and come in a book like Tortuga does. So we're uh, we're excited for the next ones we have. We're we're already uh, playtesting the next one down the line. So, wow. Okay, can you give us a sneak peek? Uh, I I can't I can't tell oh. you that. <laughs> but that's I mean, okay. You can you can use your imagination. I mean, any city and year that you think would be good. We've actually had a lot of our our Kickstarter backers send us ideas for future games. Like someone I think sent it sent me yesterday said. London 1877 with Jack the Ripper. That was mm-hmm. one of their ideas. Or there was a good one for the for the Black Plague or mobsters in Chicago. And so there's there's lots of fun things, and we're excited where we can take it. Right. And then down the line, we could even do like you know futuristic dark cities or legendary dark cities, that type of thing. Uh, but but yeah, we really like the, the feel of it. Mm. Will each game in the series play differently, or they all have roughly the same mechanics? How will that play out? Yeah, they'll, they'll all play. They'll all play differently. The only similarities we, we say right now are four to nine players. They'll come in the book. They'll focus on a city in a year, and they'll have a, a dark or mysterious game gameplay element to them. So, so I imagine several more will will involve social deduction line, but but we're also looking at some some cooperative games and. Lots of other so they could, they could be they could play completely differently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Well, so take us back to the moment when you first started working on Tortuga. Uh, you know, wh- what was the inspiration? Did it start with a theme? Did it start with a mechanic? And how did it evolve? Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's hard to trace the exact start point of it, but I think um, I think the kind of the core start was the idea of a mutiny. I really liked the idea that pirates could work alongside their captain to accomplish something, and then the very next moment, they're throwing him off the ship. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I, I liked that idea of of kind of a double alliance thing going on. Um, so so we kind of took that and, and ran with it. I think very early on we had the two ship idea, where there were two ships sort of sort of competing, but but the two ships weren't necessarily against each other. So yeah, I think I think definitely started from there. At one point, the game was called the Black Spot, and it revolved. There were some dice involved, and it was a lot of knowledge of what the community event cards were. And if you drew a black spot, then you would die, and that kind of thing. I think at one point we had a, a third ship called the Ghost Ship, where dead players would go and play on there. And that that might be a future expansion, actually. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's from April till November. It was never the same game twice. <laughs> um, little by little we figured it out and then and then at that point it was just figuring out the exact balance of the cards and and fine tuning everything to make sure it played just right but we're right. like where it's at now right so you know you mentioned it's kind of evolved over time has it always been social deduction was it at some point it was a completely different mechanic um, I'm trying to remember I think it was always social deduction uh, there always have been two teams to it and two secret teams. So, so yeah, a big a big part of it is is uh, hiding your own identity, but then also deciphering other people's identity because there there are cards in the game, you know, where you get to maroon other players, or there's cards that you that you reveal that you then have to give to other players, so you have to help certain players. So yeah, I think it's always been social deduction based. Mm-hmm. Well, you mentioned that you know it's been it was evolving a different game every time until at some point you said, "Hey, this is pretty good," and then you start just kind of polishing. How did that magic moment occur? How did you know? Okay, this is this is actually pretty good. This is looking like a real game here. I guess there was a moment we used to have have a card you had to reveal to call for a mutiny, or a, there's a thing that happens on Tortuga called a brawl where you fight over a couple pieces of treasure on the island. There used to have to be a card to make those things happen. But at one point, we gave the first mate the ability to just call for a mutiny as, as an action. Um, and then also for the, the governor of Tortuga, the top guy in Tortuga, to call for a brawl. And that, that was really a key moment that added a lot of excitement. Because right away, the captain became very, very vulnerable and really had to kind of play his, his ship to keep their support because at any moment he could just be thrown off. So that was, that was kind of key moments of, of giving that power, giving more roles in the game power. So, so like right now, like the captain can attack the first mate and call for mutiny, the cabin boy who's on the back of the ship. Um, they're able to move treasure on their own ship from one hold to the other. And, and doing that just kind of made it really fun for all the players since, Pretty much everyone's in a special position to do something, and everyone has an important part in the game mm-hmm. that changes as they move positions. Mm-hmm. Well, now your game's up on Kickstarter. Uh, I think it's been going for a couple weeks now. How are things going for you? It's good. Yeah, we're. I think we just hit one ninety-one thousand. Wow. Um, so yeah, it's been it's been a lot of fun. We had a great first couple days because of the the Salem crowd jumping right on board and that that really helped to get the momentum going and mm-hmm. and yeah so we're right now we're trying to reach some new new audiences out there maybe maybe even away from the 
the board game crowd. Because I think a lot of even non-gamers like really like the look of it and are intrigued by it. So we're trying to get a lot of a lot of first-time backers on board and, and get some new audiences. But yeah, it's been good, and uh, the backers have been great. They've they've provided a lot of great feedback and been really supportive, and it's been fun. Yeah, that's great. Uh, so you mentioned you know you're trying to reach non-board gamers. What are you doing to to reach that audience? So we have some like some Facebook ads going and some Instagram ads going where we're just targeting some different uh, demographics than than the typical typical gamer. We've also reached out to a few uh, few blogs, mostly like de- design blogs actually, to get them to post about it because we're we're really proud of um, of how it comes in the book and how the plane mat rolls up like a map. Mm-hmm. It seems like a lot of a lot of designer people or people with, with that type of eye have really liked the look of the game and trying to break into that crowd a little more. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. How has this experience compared to when you launched Salem? Oh, it's been, it's been a lot nicer because now we know what we're doing a little more. <laughs> <laughs> with Salem, we, I mean, I, I didn't know hardly anything about shipping or about stretch goals or add-ons. Like I didn't know any of that terminology. So that was just a madhouse. So it's it's been a lot nicer. Like right from the get go, we were prepared for for the nuances of Kickstarter, and you know it's been very busy. Like I've I've pretty much been at my computer screen for the last two weeks. <laughs> so it's it's been a lot of work, but it's it's definitely been a lot smoother than than Salem. Right. Was there any key learning you took from your experience running your Salem campaign that? you feel like it's really helped you out here? Yeah, I mean, there's there's lots, you know, some some with the pricing, like making sure that the Kickstarter backers are getting a, getting a good deal and incentivizing them to, to back you. Another thing with, with Salem, um, I think the stretch goals on Salem were a, a bit of a panic. <laughs> like, ah, we need stretch goals, what are we going to do? <laughs> um, but with Tortuga, we, we already had some in mind that we we had already tested it out and they already fit naturally with the game. So that was that was nice already having those in place. And then also just some of the logistics with shipping like we we figured out how to ship cheaper this time around. So so we've been able to lower the shipping costs especially for our international backers which has helped a lot I think in in getting them. Right. What what's your secret for for cheaper shipping? Um just using fulfillment companies all over the world. Um, so, so we're using we're sending some games straight to the UK that they can then send out, and then some straight to Hong Kong, some to the US, and we'll probably send some straight to Australia, just mm-hmm. to just because if you get it in the country, then then they can do it a lot cheaper from there. Right. Whereas with with Salem, a lot of the international games came from the US, which which is just really expensive. So, so we've uh, learned a lot there and making that cheaper. Right. Well, you mentioned stretch goals. Do you have any uh, current stretch goals you're working on or upcoming stretch goals you're particularly excited about? Yeah, I'm, uh, we have three more coming up. I'm really excited about all of them. Um, the next one's at 200,000. It adds two more Game Changer cards to the game. And basically, the, the Game Changer cards, in each round you play, you add three, three Game Changer cards in. So the balance of the game is maintained, but each of the Game Changer cards is really exciting and really fun. Um, so, so we'll add two more at 200,000, and these ones are called Scurvy and Crow's Nest. They're going to be pretty fun. And then the next stretch goal 
is to, to add some interesting new vote cards. Those are used in attacks and mutinies and brawls. And we're excited about those. We're going to have a new, uh, some new illustration for that as well. And then the final stretch goal is a, an explosion token. So one of the game changer cards basically blows up a rowboat, kind of stranding the uh, people on Tortuga a little more. Right. So this token, you get to place it on the rowboat, and it looks like it's on fire, which is pretty fun. Right, right. So with your stretch goals that add a little bit to the gameplay itself, how do you go about, have you like already playtested those, or are those new things that you're going to need to go out now and, and try out and make sure they all work? Yeah, we've we've playtested all of them. A couple of the newest ones, we're, we're fine-tuning the, the exact rules on them, but, but yeah, we, we've playtested them and, and made sure that they work with all of them. Mm-hmm. Well, so I mean, with things going so well, what's what's keeping you up at night? Anything? <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, it you know, it's still just a lot of work. I mean, we get dozens of messages and comments each day that that we respond to, and and then also hoping we can get another another few good good placements and articles about us. Mm-hmm. Um, so just kind of keeping an eye on everything. Um, but no, I mean, it's feeling pretty good. I, I'll tell you though, the week before we launched, I was just, I was a wreck, like <laughs> just getting everything, everything ready. I mean, cause I, I'd been preparing for this, for the Kickstarter for months and, um, you know, just, just re reading the page over and over again and checking the pricing and making sure the shipping costs were good and, uh, making sure the video was where we wanted it to be just all that, you know, and. With this being our second one, I, I was worried that it wouldn't take off like Salem did, and so I was I was really nervous. But then, right when I pushed launch, I think our first backer came in about two seconds later, and from wow. there, it just just kind of <laughs> rolled onwards, and it was it was a great great feeling. <laughs> two seconds, huh? Like they, they were just in the wings waiting for you to hit launch. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure how. <laughs> how <laughs> but yeah, literally, I, I pushed launch, and it was. It was a few seconds later that we had our first backer. So wow, that's crazy. That's yeah. crazy. Well, so Travis, a key audience of your tables on fire are aspiring game designers. So, what would you say to someone like that? Someone who is perhaps preparing to launch their first Kickstarter campaign. What advice would you have for them? For the early game designers who uh, maybe are still working on a game, um, I would recommend just just play testing it as much as you can. You know, go out, buy some card stock, print out, print out the board, print out the cards, cut them out, get a few friends over, and and just start testing it, and and just know like the first probably twenty or thirty times you test your game, it's going to be awful, and it's you know it's not going to be fun to play, it's not going to work, but there'll be something about it that does work, and that you you find that you like, and that people like, and so just you know take that, fix things, play it again, fix things, play it again. And just keep getting it out there. I think I think a lot of people are scared of of putting out a bad game to to play test with their friends, but you you just got to overcome that and print it out, and get it out there, and and be ready to take in the feedback. You know, we we hold a play test night at our house every week, and it's been so valuable. I think I think people really love the the creative process behind it, and they love helping. So like play play testers are are gonna be more willing to help than you think. Um, so yeah, I'd, I'd say just get it out there. And then for for people who are maybe closer to putting something on Kickstarter, I would actually say worry less about 
the actual launch and the marketing of it and worry more just about making a great product because you know like I said with with Salem when we launched that we knew nothing about the game industry we knew very little about Kickstarter but we knew that we had a, a good game that was really fun to play and that looked great and the rest kind of took care of itself like people people noticed it uh, because it was a great game so, so that'd be my advice is just if you if you have an hour to, de to devote to the project each day, devote most of that hour into making the game look and play great. Just make it mm -hmm. beautiful. All right, yeah, really good advice. Well, Travis, it's time for me to come clean with you and let you in on a little secret. All right. Which is the true purpose of this podcast. Isn't necessarily to talk about your game or your Kickstarter campaign, but instead it's to play the game design challenge. Oh. Yes. So here's how this works. I'm going to present to you a theme at, selected at random. Okay. Then I want you to think it over, uh, chew on a little bit, all preferably out loud since this is a podcast, okay. and pitch back to me what that game might be. Cool. Sounds fun. You're up for that? Yeah. Okay. Fantastic. So we're going to find a theme here, and that theme is going to be... Stranded in the food court. <laughs> Stranded in the food court. Ooh, I like that. <laughs> All right. Well, I love, I love little microcosms, little worlds. So I like the idea of being stranded, like stuck in the food court with the other players. Mm -hmm. um, I'm kind of thinking like a Lord of the Flies type thing where <laughs> people turn crazy and cannibalistic and stuff you get a little vicious yeah, yeah yeah i mean i imagine each there's resources available at the different food stands right so, so maybe part of it is maybe it's in a few stages so maybe there's a initial rush to the to the different food stands and you can kind of capture each one and claim it as your your base <laughs> um so kind of like you know in in dodgeball you know, they say go and everyone runs to the middle and there's that whole like, just like the, the death in the middle thing with people dying right away. So I think that'd be a good start is just like this mad dash to claim different uh, different restaurants. It sounds like the cornucopia in Hunger Games or something. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just, just like that. Okay, I got it. Yeah. Um, you know, then based on where you are, you have, you have weapons available to you, maybe a, like a risk element in terms of the actual fighting um, like you get more dice based on if you have a bunch of hamburgers at your disposable to throw or <laughs> or uh, subs or anything. Yeah, I think I think it would be vicious. I think it would just turn into this massive food fight of desperation and destruction. And I think only one person would make it out alive. <laughs> okay, so so it it is like the Hunger Games, except it's in the food court. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I like it. I especially like it because you, you know, you, you told us you previously designed the Harry Potter deduction game. So now you've designed the Hunger Games and the Food yeah, Court game. There we go. So there we go. You're just capturing those. So now, now you just need to reach out uh, to Warner Brothers or whoever it is and see if you yeah. can get the IP for it. Yep. Tell them I'm their, I'm their guy. <laughs> Perfect. All right. Well, well done, Travis. Well, it's been a real pl pleasure talking with you this evening. Thank you. And uh, best of luck on the rest of your campaign and your upcoming Dark Cities campaigns. Thanks so much. It's been uh, good to chat.
Well, that was Travis Hancock, the founder of Facade Games and the designer of Tortuga 1667, currently on Kickstarter. You can find a link straight to Tortuga on our website. That's www.yourtablesonfire.com. You can also find us on Twitter, at TableFire. You can subscribe to the show at iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and even BoardGameGeek. Hit us up on any of those sites and give us a review. We want to hear what you think. Well, until next time, go light it up. Right.